Welcome to the Moms of Tweens and Teens podcast. If some days you doubt yourself and you don't know what you're doing, if you've ugly cried alone in your bedroom because you felt like you're failing, well, I just want you to know you're not alone and you have come to the right place. Raising tweens and teens in today's world is not easy. And I'm on a mission to equip you to love well and to raise emotionally healthy, happy tweens and teens that thrive. I believe that moms are heroes and we have the power to transform our family and to impact future generations. If you are looking for answers, encouragement, and to become more of the mom and the woman that you want to be, welcome. I'm Cheryl Gould, and I am so glad that you're here. Hi, precious mom. Welcome to the show today. I'm so glad that you're listening in. We're going to be talking about powerful stuff today. How many of us are dissatisfied with our bodies? How many of us have something about our appearance that we don't like? Well, I have a feeling that most of us would be raising our hands right now. And when I was growing up, I was part of the diet culture. It was right when Tab was coming out, and I remember wishing that I looked like Farrah Fawcett, and maybe you wished you looked like Brooke Shields, or Jennifer Aniston, or Madonna. I went through Madonna phase. (laughs) And if we thought it was tough to accept and love our bodies and ourselves back then, imagine what it must be like for our girls today. And it can be an on going challenge to appreciate our bodies and to support our daughters to do the same. Today, I'm talking with world-leading body image expert and psychology professor, Dr. Charlotte Markey, about helping our girls to understand, accept, and appreciate their bodies. Dr. Markey just came out with her latest book, the body image book for girls, love yourself and grow up fearless. And in this interview, we talk about the diet culture and some of the things that we do or say as moms that are unhelpful and can even be damaging to our girls and how we can set a good example with our own eating and exercise habits and self-talk. I learned so much in this interview and I know that you are going to find a lot of value in it too. Let's jump in. Well, welcome Dr. Markey and I'm so honored to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And today we're going to focus on, and I have to hold it up for those that are watching, we're going to focus on your latest book, The Body Image Book for Girls, Love Yourself and Grow Up Fearless. And I have to say, I was telling you, I love this book. I just want to open it up for people. It is beautiful. I mean, look at, it's just, I mean, the pictures and the illustrations, it's so fun. It's really, really wonderful and all the research and information, which we're going to talk about. You've also written several books. I just wanted to mention Body, Positivity, and Smart People Don't Diet. 
but this is your first book for girls. And I'm curious what motivated your work on raising body positive girls and writing this book. Yeah, I think that, you know, working on the other books that are for adult audiences really got me thinking more about how to make this accessible to younger people, because it does seem that when body dissatisfaction really takes hold and we live with it for a long time, which so many women in particular, I think have, it's just so hard to sort of dislodge those negative thoughts and practices. And so in reaching a younger audience, I really wanted to try to just prevent that from happening in the first place. Just really try to get the information there so that, um, you know, people don't grow up feeling bad about themselves and their bodies dwelling in this for 30, 40, 50 years. I love that because I was telling you before we got on, I grew up in the tab, right when tab, remember that, I don't know, maybe you're, you're, <laughs> I'm going to date myself, that tab commercial about the girl, you know, she like lands in the pool and it's, it's like, wow. And it was right when like the diet culture was really coming in. And then there was the Jane Fonda workout videos and all of that. And I started dieting in high school. And I know I'm not alone in that. And I was thinking I would have loved a book like this. And I do think that um, we carry many of us, most of us, like you said, feeling not dissatisfied with our bodies. And as a mom of two girls, I know I have passed on some of that. And I would say over the last 10 years, really realized even some of the things I was saying to myself in front of them, that was not helpful. So what would you, I know you've done a lot of research on our impact as parents on our kids' view of themselves and their body image. What have you shown by the research? How much do we influence that? I don't know if we want to hear, but I think it's important for us to know. Yeah, parents are incredibly influential, and this is tricky stuff. So if parents feel like they've misstepped, it's okay. In fact, I think most of us have, and I do this for a living, and I still know I've had moments that I am not proud of, and I've said something that I shouldn't have. So it's okay to to back up, and it's okay to change course. Um, but it's really important, first of all, that we don't talk badly about ourselves in front of our kids. When we are saying like, oh, I can't believe I ate that, or wow, I've really gained so much weight during this pandemic, or I can't believe these don't fit me anymore. Um, we don't want to say any of that in front of our kids because it just heightens their attention to those things and to thinking that food is bad, their weight is really important, and they have to fit into certain sizes, right? And we don't want our kids growing up with those beliefs. Yeah. So not saying, oh, I look so fat in these pants. Oh, I hate that I just ate that. What are some of the things that we can do that are helpful? Yeah, I think if we really work on nurturing a positive relationship with food for ourselves, that that's really a gift to our kids if we can model that. And 
like you, I grew up part of the diet generation. I was a dancer growing up. So I was dieting before puberty. I know what it's like, and it's hard then to lose that mentality. But if we can eat without making it a bigger deal than it is and exhibit enjoyment of food and just sort of a sense of balance, right? So it doesn't mean we're always eating healthily or that we're skipping out on dessert necessarily. It just means kind of not making it a bigger deal than it is so that kids can actually pay attention to their physical cues for hunger and satiety and they can enjoy food. And when it's not forbidden, you know, it becomes a really different thing. What I like to say is, is food is a form of self-care, right? Think of it as, you know, we are nourishing ourselves both physically, but also emotionally. And that that's good. Yes. In the book, I feel like it really did help me reading it. And then I was sharing it with my 21 year old daughter. And I love how you use the word nourishing. You have a whole chapter on self-care. And then you have, I think it's the third chapter. You talk about loving, how to love your body. Can you share some of the things in there? Because I really got a lot out of that chapter. Yeah, well, I think one of the most important things is to really think about what we do like about ourselves. We live in a culture where we get so many messages that we need to fix ourselves. And a lot of why we get those messages is because people are selling us things, right? It's different kinds of cosmetics or clothes or whatever it is. And so you need these things to be acceptable. (laughs) And what we want to do is really try to dislodge those thoughts that we need to fix ourselves and and work a little bit more on just accepting ourselves as we are. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, ignore clothing fads or anything, but maybe not be too consumed with them. So appreciating and accepting ourselves. I think practicing some gratitude, there's some really great research on gratitude in terms of, you know, even enumerating what it is we like about ourselves that we're thankful for um, and, and kind of keeping that mental list or a written list mm-hmm. at hand can be really useful. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, really thinking about our body's functionality more and remembering that our bodies allow us to experience the world, right? Like this body is this vehicle we have to be in the world And it does so much for us. It allows us to experience relationships and it allows us to, you know, go on a walk with our kids or our dog. It allows us um, to do so many amazing things. And, And yet really all the messages we get culturally and then we internalize are that we should be picking apart our body and being upset with it. And you have to really stop and think, well, well, why? Like, why don't we instead think, well, that was amazing that I just ran a mile or, you know, that I climbed that hill or that I was able to have two, two beautiful daughters. Like, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that because in the book, you, you speak in such a way that I don't know, just reading it is really comforting and saying you talk about self-compassion. And I do love the functionality part 
that's what I was sharing with my daughter and even my husband, because my husband and I recently started really working out again. And we, we have been, you know, we usually, in the past we have, we got away from it, now we're back in it. And it's interesting, we're both like criticizing ourselves. And I'm like, no, no, I'm reading in this book, <laughs> about functionality, like being grateful, like saying thank you to your body. Yeah. And that rather than like just stop body shaming, which you talk a lot about body shaming and those messages that that girls are telling themselves, we're telling ourselves, but it's also what we can do instead, which I love what you can replace that with. And so I'm like, oh, I'm so grateful, you know, that I can get up in the morning and go get a cup of coffee and, you know, that I can go run and that I can do all these things. And I think that that I was practicing that that was very helpful. So you really give some good tools to the girls to shift their thinking. Yeah. And that you brought up self-compassion, which I think is really helpful also because, you know, like you said, instead of sort of picking on ourselves or, oh, I can't believe like I couldn't run that any faster or whatever, just saying like, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can today and maybe tomorrow's different, but, you know, just kind of giving yourself more of a a pass or um, a good way to think of it is like, well, what would you tell a friend, right? You know, your friend had a rough day, you would say like, it's okay. Tomorrow's going to be better. And you tried your best and we all have bad days. But for some reason, when we are, you know, having these internal conversations with ourselves, they often just sound so negative, you know, like, oh, you're so dumb or I can't believe you did that or why? You know, know. we really don't have to do that. So mean to ourselves. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Just being, you know, softer and kinder. Yes. Yeah. 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 You have a section that I thought was great too, about the myth busters. I learned a few things. (laughs) I learned a few things, myths and misbeliefs. So how did you decide to add that to the book? Because it's great. I love it. Well, you know, I've been doing research on eating behaviors and body image for almost 25 years now. And there's just so much of a disconnect between what the research scientists know about these topics and what's usually found in public spaces. I think even more so about food than about body image probably, but, uh, you know, it's out in popular culture as, you know, you shouldn't eat carbs or chocolate makes you break out or whatever. It, it, you know, the science just doesn't support those ideas. And, and I think it, it is a source of frustration for those of us who do the research and read the research and, and believe it and, and really want other people to understand it. And so I understand why there's confusion you know, and and you watch the news and it's like every day there's conflicting reports. And I appreciate that if you're not in the field, it can be really confusing. Um, But yet I still want people to know like what the science really says. Yeah. Was there one big myth uh, buster that stands out to you that we often think that isn't true? There's so many of them. I think <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot because I didn't tell you I'd ask that, but I was curious. One thing that I learned from reading the book was just the amount of weight that the average amount of weight that girls gain during puberty. Yeah. And how much is that? What, what I can't remember. Like that that's you can normal. easily 
yeah, I can easily be 20 pounds and that's very normal. Um, and it's not problematic. It's necessary in order for a girl's body to become capable of reproduction that, um, some of it is of course related to height too, that, that girls are growing taller. Um, but you know, unfortunately when boys grow taller and put on weight, they're often putting on weight and, you know, their shoulders are broader and they're more muscular and they're fitting a male ideal that's more culturally acceptable. When girls put on weight during puberty, their hips are widening and their breasts grow and they're, you know, they're not necessarily fitting the beauty ideal that so many of us were raised on, which is just prepubertal which is just skinny and lanky. And so it can be really distressing for, for girls when they feel like their bodies are changing in ways that they don't like. You do a very nice job of normalizing that, that they're going to find that and you know, their hips will start to widen. Sometimes that can be upsetting, but you're not meant to have this, do you say pubescent? Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? Body when you're becoming a woman, that you're not. And it seems yeah. like our culture is feeding that, that you're supposed to be this model skinny little thing when you're really a woman. And so I love that you nor you talk about that and expose it in the book. And our bodies keep changing. Yeah. You no. Know? And it, I mean, adolescence and puberty are of course really dramatic changes, but you know, you, you get older, you have children just aging, our bodies change and, and there's not a ton we can do about all of that, but go with the flow or we're going to be miserable. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, accepting our ourselves, you have done lots of research yourself and with leading international experts in the science and practice of body image. Was there any research along the way that you felt especially surprising? Surprising. (laughs) I think, you know, I was, I was actually looking back over um, some research I had done a number of years ago now looking at, um, I don't know if you remember the reality TV shows that came out about cosmetic surgery and it was like the extreme makeover shows. Yes. Oh, and for really kind of scary to watch. I tried to watch it. And then after a while, I just like, I can't watch this anymore. Yeah. They were really popular for a short period of time. And, um, I actually did some research to see how, um, like college age students, young adults, how they reacted to them. And we, we did an experiment as there's a sort of a series of studies we did during this time, but one of them was an experiment where we showed some of the participants, uh, extreme makeover. That was like the home version. And then we showed some extreme makeover that was a person. So there was like this comparison and, um, it was just really interesting how people responded to the extreme makeover for a person that people really bought it for the most part, that this was like, wow, her dreams are coming true. Look how amazing this is. Wow. She was ugly, but now she's pretty, she's going to have a better life. And, um, so that I did find surprising. There were some, some critics in the group, which was sort of encouraging. Um, but it, it really did reveal, I think how powerful the media can be in shaping how we 
perceives ourselves and what's acceptable to do to ourselves. Yeah. And like you said, all the products, like we're not going to be happy unless we have, you talk about that in the book too, unless we go out and buy this cosmetic or that cosmetic. And yeah, that there's uh, just from all sides, we're getting those messages, aren't we? They're everywhere. And then we have to talk about it as kind of like, oh, social media. I mean, I think about that when I was in school and I would be looking and that was Farrah Fawcett, you know, and my hair is really curly and I'd be looking at the girls that could have the Farrah Fawcett cut. And I was like, oh, I wish I could do that. But I went home at night and I wasn't staring at her wishing that I had her hair or that I looked like her and all the boys liked her and she had all these likes. And now our girls and boys are looking at it all the time for hours a day. In fact, how are you seeing that impact body image? Most of the research is not encouraging. Um, You know, most of the research suggests that this does seem to heighten what we call social comparison where, where young people compare themselves to what they see on social media and that makes them feel badly about themselves um, I do think it's important not to, to demonize social media in part because we're not going to get rid of it. So, yes. uh-huh. you know, this idea, you know, sometimes parents are, are very restrictive or, or say like, you can't use it at all until you're 16 or whatever. And, you know, families need to do what works for them. But I, I think, you know, kids find this stuff. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. You're going to so, have a secret account and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So being overly restrictive is not necessarily the answer. And, you know, an interesting thing that I think we don't talk about enough is that kids have access to the internet in general, not just social media, of course. And um, they just really are, I think, much more knowledgeable and tuned in to a variety of things than kids a generation before because they have access to this information all the time. And some of it's bad information. We'd rather them not know, of course, but some of it's actually not bad information. Um, And and that's not necessarily just social media, but but it is sort of the the other side of the coin, I think, when we're talking about media exposure. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that in the book with, with girls? and social media? And is there anything that you think that we can help our girls with, with the messages that they're getting? Yeah, I think it's really important that young people become media literate and especially just realize that what they're seeing is very often not reality. Um, and, And young people get some of this in that they know how to edit an image and filter an image and do all of that. So they, they do seem in some ways savvy that of course, celebrities are doing that too. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they don't know necessarily always the extent to which some of that is happening and they don't have the perspective that, you know, celebrities and influencers, they have a whole crew of people making them look good. And their job is to look good. They spend, you know, 50% of their time exercising and being made up and having whatever sorts of meals made for them. And, you know, the rest of us are just not living our lives like that. And I think it's even worth questioning if we want to, I mean, certain aspects of it, of course, seem glamorous, but, you know, I, I, 
I'm pretty sure it's not for me. I think I would get kind of bored and not be intellectually engaged the way I'd like to be. So, um, no, you, um, you give a lot of substance to the girls of things to think of proactively rather than like being the change and thinking about who they want to be in the book, which is very empowering for our girls. Your last uh, chapter is being the change. And can you speak to that? Yeah, I just think it's important for young people to feel empowered and to realize that, you know, if it comes to media, for example, you don't have to be a consumer. Um, You can opt out. You don't have to follow all the trends. And if you don't, other people will feel empowered to do the same often. And if you are an example of someone who's confident and not dieting or not doing some of the sort of typical things, other people also will see that. So you can be a good example. And just like all of the unhealthy trends can kind of spread through a group of people, um, some of the healthy ones can spread through a group of people. Um, They don't necessarily have the same reach as a celebrity does online. But I think that we should all feel empowered to to change, even if it's just one of our friends or one of our kids or, you know, someone we know who's been struggling, just offer some sympathy or some information um, that sometimes little things can go a long way. Yeah. Your wording in the book, it's like setting yourself free is how I, I'm like, yes, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Like break free of this, you know, it's like a big weight. You know, I feel like when we're not embracing who we are and accepting ourselves and, and uh, appreciating our bodies and who we are and our gifts and talents and how our bodies move and all those things that you talk about and taking care of good care of ourselves as well. You talk about that self-care. It just feels very freeing. And you talk about going, you know, and aliveness is what I think of, like going in and being fearless into the world at, rather than so focused on what, you know, how we look and it, that that really is constricting in some it is, and, and limiting in some And ways. exhausting. Yes, totally. Like we're so much more than that. Yes. So much more than that. Yes. I have to, um, I have to ask you this because this is a question it probably comes up um, in my community of moms of tweens and teens, at least probably two or three times a month about my daughter is eating too much. She's gaining weight. It's driving me crazy. I'm so upset about it. What should I do? Yeah, this is a tough one um, because I think as moms, especially if we are moms, as many of us are of this age, who've grown up as sort of part of diet culture, what we worry about is that our kids are setting themselves up to become overweight and to feel them like they have to be part of this diet world. But in fact, it's actually a wonderful thing if they feel like they want some ice cream or they're hungry. I mean, here's the thing too. They're hungry. They're growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's not wrong necessarily to say like, 
are you hungry? Um, and to try to direct kids yeah. to be thinking about their internal signals. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is problematic to say like, don't eat that. Right. And, and this is of course, you know, my kids like to do this at like 4 PM and I'm going to start making dinner in like an hour or something. I'm like, yeah. what are you, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like, I feel like all moms relate to this, right. Because that's, or it's like, as you're starting dinner and they're like coming in for a snack and you're like, wait a second here. Yeah. Why am I cooking? Yeah. Like, <laughs> all right, fine. Everyone just make your own dinner too. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I totally get that. But you know, for the most part, fine. They should learn that when you're hungry, eat. And if you are going to go, you know, play soccer, then if you are eating, you know, less nourishing food, you're not going to feel as energetic, right? Yeah. You can, you can talk about, you know, self-care and and fueling your body, but you also don't want to be disparaging about what we would traditionally call junk food and don't call it junk food. Even, you know, um, if you really don't call it junk food, no, just don't make it a big deal. Um, because you just make it more enticing. So that's what the research shows is it makes it more enticing. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Huh. I, I've, used, <laughs> I've said that. I've said that all the time, you know, that's junk food. Yeah. So that's it's good. hard. That's how we were. That's how we were raised. It's hard. It's really hard to think about food in, in neutral ways. Um, but, you know, what I will say is that if a kid is gravitating towards certain foods that are not particularly nourishing and a parent feels like they're just overeating them, that they're not hungry, like they're bored or something. Um, you know, you can buy less of that food. Yeah. Right? I mean, we do, we don't, as our kids get older, we have less and less control, frankly, of their eating environment because they spend, well, when we're not experiencing a pandemic, they just spend more time outside of the house as they get older. And we can't make those food choices for them at that point. But when they are home, you know, we can have fruit and vegetable that are easily accessible. We can try to find things that they like that are um, relatively healthy. Um, We can take them, again, this is not great during a pandemic, but you can take them to the grocery store and say, pick out some snack foods. You seem to always be hungry at like four o'clock. Can we pick out some snack foods that then wouldn't fill you up so much that you're not interested in dinner? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are ways to approach this that are not going to make food sort of an upsetting or conflictual issue. You don't want it to be like a power struggle, especially with teenagers, right? There's so many other things you're going to have a power struggle about. Don't make food one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really not worth it. And uh-huh. more often than not, if kids are, you know, as young as 10, I would say, and probably ugh, almost through their teenage years, if they are, it seems like all of a sudden really eating more, they're probably growing. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, you don't want to say, don't do that. Um, yeah. yeah. Would and, you say, would you say it was good though if to just, it's interesting, the feedback is usually, well, stop buying the junk food, you know, that's yeah. the word. So would you say, just try to put more healthy, nourishing food in the house and maybe have some of that 
food for them to snack on, but not so much that they're not eating nourishing food. Would that be? I think that can be a really good compromise. And I think it's good not to kind of overemphasize it or, or stress about it. Kids go through phases and yeah, yeah. Um, it's not like they're just going to, you know, keep eating and never stop. That's, it's very unlikely to work that way. And we really want our kids to have a healthy relationship with food, to be able to enjoy food. You know, you want young people to grow up where they feel like I can have a cookie. I enjoy it. I don't really need another one. I'll have another one another day. Right. And, and that's a really difficult mentality for people if they've been brought up to feel like this is a special thing. You can only have certain times. And then once you have it, you better have a lot because you don't know when you're to get it again. Yeah. Right? yeah. You sort of want kids to be able to take it or, or leave it. Yeah. You talk about that too, with the girls in the book, the intuitive eating. Yeah. Paying attention more if we're full. Yeah. Rather than like all of a sudden binge eating, which mm-hmm. I think would be so common when you get into the dieting. Yeah. Is wanting to binge. How can we um, model healthy body image? I mean, you talked a little bit about that. What are some of the things that we can do? Because I really do believe a lot of it comes back to what we're modeling. What can we model for our for our kids when it comes to food and body image and healthy living? Well, I think being active is important. There's so much research to suggest that really any kind of regular physical activity has really far-reaching health benefits. And so if we can model that, I think that's great, but it shouldn't be in like a punishing way. It shouldn't be like, I have to do this now, you know, but just try to, I think, model that it's, it's a healthy part of life. It makes us feel good. Um, so that's, that's an easy one. Everyone wins. I yeah. think when they're, when they're active, the people doing it, the people watching and, and learning about it. So that one's pretty easy. I think also really trying to model that healthy relationship with food. And I think that if you didn't grow up with it, it's really hard sometimes to embody that. And so you have to be more cognizant you have to be more aware. And, you know, I still sometimes too, will have to like, I, I want to say something like, um, oh, I want to eat more of this, but I know I shouldn't or, or whatever. So, you know, I mean, I bite my tongue often. And so I completely appreciate that this is not natural to people often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think just saying less about it and, and oftentimes, you know, I've seen this with my own kids are, they're not hungry. They're not hungry. Don't make them eat. I mean, as long as there's food around and they're eating enough, you know, especially since the pandemic, I sometimes say, I feel like I'm living in a dorm or something. Like everyone's on a different food and sleep schedule. And oh yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard, but Mm -hmm. I think also, you know, we've, we've chosen to sort of lean into that and just be like, all right, fine. You don't want any more dinner. And I know you're going to make yourself something at 9 PM, but whatever, like that's, you know, teenagers have different circadian rhythms than adults do. You know, they naturally were going to start to gravitate towards going to bed later and sleeping in more. And they're not necessarily as hungry in the morning then, and and they're hungry at night. And, you know, none of that jives really that well with normal family life and, um, and it can be challenging, but I do think it's important to, to not be 
too rigid about like, you know, when people have to eat or do these things, because it's just not, um, it's not in sync with, with what their bodies are wanting. Yeah. I think during the pandemic too, since we're all together so much, it's easy to want to control things as a parent. Yeah. Um, Cause you're seeing it all the time. You know, you're there, they're, they're yeah. there 24 seven. There's so much that you can't control. And it just seems like it's easy to want to focus on something to try and control. And that sometimes can be our, our kids. And that doesn't usually work so well, especially with tweens and teens. Yeah. Picking your battles, letting go, realizing they're mm-hmm. cats. They come out a little later, <laughs> you know, out of the rooms to graze and to eat. Yeah. Um, I told you before we, when we were first emailing, one thing that I has come to my attention and I didn't even know what this meant um, was orthorexia is kind of a new thing that we're seeing and kids and adults, but being very focused on eating healthy so much so that that can become an eating disorder. I just want to shed some light because I was talking to my daughter about it and she was talking about how that's a real battle. Like even for her now seeing all these messages about, you know, don't eat gluten, only eat, you know, all the pure foods and don't eat the cookie and, you know, don't eat sugar and all these things. And it can become obsessive. And it seems like in the pandemic that everything's body image and eating and all that has really um, come out of the woodwork. What would you say? I mean, if your kid is struggling with something like that, what would you tell parents to do? I mean, I think anytime a parent feels like there's a persistent concern, first of all, there's no shame ever in in getting some help, either um, someone for the parent to talk to, to get consistent support or someone for the child to talk to. Um, So even though it seems quote unquote healthy, once it becomes obsessive or concerning or someone stops wanting to eat with other people or, you know, socialize because of the food or then it's not healthy. And, you know, just because they're eating nutrient dense food, you know, food is more than just nourishing in terms of our physical bodies. It means so much more to us. Um, and, and so I think, you know, sometimes some professional help can be even just short-term professional help can be really, really great. And, um, and like we were saying, we don't want young people to struggle with issues for decades if we can do something to intervene and, and kind of set them on the right path. Yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, sometimes this is where when you might want to not <laughs> uh, keep the sweets out of the house, mm-hmm. right? So if it's a child living with you, if it was my child, I'd probably, you know, load up on their favorite ice cream. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And make it a little bit hard to resist Yeah, um, Yeah. because, you know, and model eating that ice cream and enjoying it and model not feeling guilty about it. Orthorexia isn't according to the American Psychological Association, a, a clinical diagnosis, at least not yet, but it certainly falls into the sort of not otherwise specified category of, of eating disorders. And anytime any sort of habitual behavior or habitual way of thinking 
is distressing, then it's a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So even if you're distraught about doing something healthy, it's still a problem. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, we see this actually not just with girls, but in some ways, I think even more with boys. So in doing research for my book for boys about body image, I see a lot of boys saying like they're really excessively going to the gym, you know, really being rigid about certain food choices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oftentimes it's like extra protein, low carb, which are not actually good long-term approaches mm-hmm. to eating at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but What's interesting is because we don't have the same sort of history and understanding, I think, of boys and men's concerns about eating and body image, that parents often dismiss this as like, oh, well, my kid's being healthy or he wants to be an athlete. He wants to be, you know, a star baseball player. So it's totally fine if he spends four hours lifting weights every day. And that's not fine. You know, like that's a compulsion at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though the behavior is healthy, it doesn't necessarily mean that the mindset is or that it's sustainable. And any times we're anytime we're engaged in behavior that that just takes up that much mental space and that much time, then we really need to kind of step back and say, like, whoa, is this actually good for me? Yeah. Or is this good for my child? Very good question to ask. Well, tell um, our listeners where they can find you. You also are working on a body book for boys. And when's that going to come out? It should be out about a year from now. Yeah. Actually just the the book is written. We're just working on edits. And I actually just this afternoon got some sample graphics for, for the illustrations. And um, so things are, are moving along. It's just these books take a while. It's a slow process. I know I'm working on one right now. It's really, it's so impressed with your book. I mean, it is, it's a ton. It's a process. It it certainly is. Yes. Yeah. That'll be out in about a year. I'll have you back. That would be wonderful. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. And all the information um, is really at just, if you go to the body image book for girls.com, And I'll even link the information to the boys book soon to get on that, to that webpage too. And ordering information's there and some information about the content and everything else is, is there. So. Okay. Wonderful. And I'll share all those links in the, in the notes for everyone so that they have that. Also, you have great resources of body positivity, even on Instagram. I started following that healthy is the new skinny girl. Mm-hmm. that you recommend. And I really love her. And I told my daughter about her. So I love the resources that you share. Good. To counteract yeah. those, those messages that we get and we need that. So thank yeah. you so much for, for your book and for what you're doing and putting out into the world, because we really do need it. So thank, thank you, you. Yeah. Yeah. for coming on. Of course. And I hope we can talk again soon. Well, that's it for today. And thanks so much for joining me. Wasn't that helpful? I hope that you took away some really good nuggets. What I want for us is for us to continue to dig in around loving and accepting ourselves and our bodies and embracing who we are because we can have critical voices. And I know from having two daughters that they catch that 
even though we don't want them to. So it really does start with us growing and nourishing ourselves and embracing who we are and accepting and loving ourselves, all of us, right? Each one of us so that we can give that to our daughters. And I just want to tell you that on the moms of tweens and teens.com website right now, we're offering a free five day mini email course to help you to transform your relationship with your tween or teen and really good stuff short comes to you each day for five days with one tool that you can use to really help you to cultivate that close and connected relationship with your kids. So check it out. You'll see a drop down menu and I hope you will subscribe. All right. Well, have a great week and I will see you back here next week.